Welcome back to Pause and Listen. I am so excited to welcome to the podcast today my friend Gwen. Gwen is an animal lover and advocate, especially for dogs and specifically for Dobermans. Over just the last 10 years, Gwen has adopted many special needs dogs. And for the last five years, I've had the pleasure and privilege to help take care of many of Gwen's Dobies. Gwen has been involved in rescue and fostering for many, many years, and currently she's also director and board member of Doberman Underground Rescue. So without further ado, hello, Gwen, and welcome to the podcast. Well, hello, Mariette. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Gwen, please tell us about your passion to rescue dogs, specifically Dobermans and about Doberman Underground. Well, um, like many people, my, you know, my first Doberman, I, I didn't exactly, I didn't go into it wanting the breed, but mine was a first, she was a stray that showed up at our house and, uh, she was a mix, but I, she was, I was told she was part Doberman. So I started reading about the breed. I fell in love with it. And then, um, about a couple, a year later, I went to the Humane Society and there was an eight week old Doberman puppy there and, um, I adopted her. So Rescuing just became natural, you know, having two dogs um, that came from rescue. And then when they passed away, I just couldn't imagine getting a dog any other way. So I started to Google, you know, uh, Dobermans needing rescue in Ohio. And I was surprised when breed specific rescues popped up. I had never knew there was such a thing as that. Um, so that's how it kind of began. And once you adopt, next thing you know, you start volunteering. It just becomes a natural progression. And you go from that to all of a sudden being a director and, you know, helping to run a rescue. <laughs> okay. Um, now, Gwen, through the years, you've had several special needs dogs. And you know how much I loved Riddick, who was blind. But please tell us about Riddick. So Riddick was, um, I had been fostering uh, for quite a few years at that point, And I had always just done female Dobermans. Uh, I was comfortable with them. I would have up to five or six of them in my home. Um, I never had an issue with them. But um, I, for some reason, I just had not, I was not that comfortable with male dogs. So I, I didn't, I hadn't done it. And at one point I got, I thought, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready to take a shot at this. So I reached out to the president of the rescue at that time and said, um, you know, I think, I, I think I'm ready to foster a male. And she's like, you know, I, she goes, I, I know you are, you've been ready for a long time. So anyways, um, she calls me up and she goes, I've got a dog for you. And she goes, um, okay. She goes, well, he's blind. He was born blind. And I'm thinking in my head, uh, what am I going to do? I know nothing about a blind dog. You know, are you crazy? You want me to foster a blind dog? And, um, and then she goes, uh, well, his name is Riddick. And I mean, right there, I was hooked because I love Vin Diesel movies. So as soon as she said that, I'm like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm sunk. I'm going to do this. So um, I, I started Googling everything I could again to read about, you know, blind dogs, what to do, what to expect. Um, and sometimes that's actually the worst thing to do, truthfully, because uh, there's so much information out there that almost makes it seem more overwhelming and like they are, their special needs is more um, than what it really is. Um, if you just kind of go into it and just get to know the animal first. So um, we, we went to pick up Riddick from his owners. Uh, they were having their first child and um, she was concerned about having a blind 120 pound Doberman in the house, um, you know, that he might step on the kid or, or something like that. So 
we went to get him and um, Riddick had never been out of their house. So, you know, they did a wonderful thing by taking in this little puppy, eight week old puppy from a, a backyard breeder. And um, cause the dog, they were going to put him down. And so they took him instead. They raised him. I mean, he was very loving um, and not mistreated in any way, but they never took him out of the house, you know, and, and that's, that's not the, that's not something good to do either with a special needs um, animal. So they basically kept him co- cocooned in this world. And so, you know, here we are that we have to take him and he has to go to new owners. So we get him out the door and I found the first problem was he didn't know, he didn't know what a car was. So now you're trying to get this 120 pound uh, Doberman into a vehicle. Um, You have to, first of all, he has no idea about distance. Um, Now you're trying to lift up his paws, put him up into the car and and you're going to lift up the back end. He has no clue uh, what, what what's going to happen now. And then as soon as that car started moving, I mean, he just planted himself because that really freaked him out, you know, and as soon as we got home, now we had the opposite. We had to figure out how to get him out of the vehicle. When you're asking a dog to, you know, basically jump in blind into what seems to be a, a, a dark hole that you don't know where the bottom is. So we, you know, we, we got through all that, you know, the first night was really rough. You know, um, he wouldn't do stairs. He didn't know how to do stairs either. So we had a lot of stuff in the first couple of weeks to teach Riddick because again, you know, they loved him that part they had, they had no problem doing, but they didn't, they didn't teach him anything because they just were felt sorry for him with this, with this um, blindness. So, you know, we taught him how to use stairs and we would tap the stairs and we would put treats in front of his nose. And one of us would be on the back end, you know, trying to like lift his leg up. And so he could quickly with the sound is one of the best things that they have. Their hearing is amazing. And so all we did was we started using Riddick's other senses uh, to have him use those since he didn't have his sight. So we would we would tap the step. And from that, he could tell the distance on that. So slowly he would figure out how to put his paw up and, you know, you would tap and then he would do that. And then the same thing going back downstairs, you would tap it and he knew how far down he had to go. Um, and, you know, it helped that our stairs were carpeted, but our floor downstairs was wood. So he knew when he hit the bottom stair, like he knew when he was at the bottom, because again, that sound was different, you know, from the sound of being on a stair, a padded stair. So sound became what we used with him to teach him everything new. Um, I started putting bells on my shoes and I would, that way Riddick could hear me move around the house. Um, my dogs, I put their, um, I had, I had taken their tags off of them because I didn't want the jingling, but we put the tags back on them so that he could hear the other dogs in the house and he knew right where they were at. And slowly from all of that, you, he started getting around the house. He could move around that house with no problem. He could go inside and outside. Um, he had no issues with that. He never ran into any trees or anything of that sort because he would listen to where the other dogs were and um, also where we were. And so from that, he had a sense of where to go. And we all, you know, we all kind of kept an eye on him. So you're, you're not deliberately wanting him to run into a wall or the house or anything like that. But he, he himself, from using his other senses, started to, you know, to do these things. So that, that that's, was quickly, we started realizing Riddick had no limitations. There was nothing that dog couldn't do. It was strictly what people kept putting limitations on him for. And so once we kept seeing the more and more what he could achieve, 
boy, it, from there, it just became, it, it was almost, we wanted to do more and more. So we did obedience classes. Uh, we went and got his canine good citizen. And then somebody suggested um, maybe doing therapy work with him. And I, I was like, you know, he can do anything. I, I now, I'm now at this point, I know he can do anything, but I had to find a trainer that would think outside the box and work with us to make it so that Rita could, you know, accomplish this, this uh, task and how to do that. And we did. Um, and we went through classes and Riddick went in and out of elevators because that's part of the requirement. He had to walk over different structures and, um, you know, the sounds like with the wheelchairs and um, IV poles and things of that sort. Like he had to learn all those things and he did. And the point was, we just, we never said, no, he couldn't do something. We just kept we kept doing the things you would do with a normal dog because Riddick was normal. So the more we stopped um, babying him because of his uh, disability, the more he showed us that he could do the exact same things everybody else could. And he did become a registered therapy dog. And we did go to nursing homes uh, with, quite often. Um, he really liked the nursing homes because unlike a lot of dogs that get afraid of the wheelchairs and those and the noises that they make and, the, and how they look, he actually gravitated to them because again, sound, he was using sound. So he would listen to those wheelchairs. He knew where the people were and, you know, and, and senior citizens are very uh, gentle. They're very, they move slower. So he didn't have quick hand motions, like, you know, reaching out for him fast or anything of that sort. And so he, he really enjoyed that work he did. And we, and I enjoyed it as well. He was amazing, Gwen. I, I promise you, I still think about him often and I will always miss him too. And it's so strange for me to hear you talk about when he was just a puppy and you first got him because the Riddick that I knew was the Riddick who heard the garage door open, but waited for me in your laundry room to come in and was right there saying hello before any of the other uh, Dobies. Um, giving me kisses and, you know, was hurrying me to come on and let them out so he could go outside and go potty. And then he would come right back in the house. And even if I was still waiting for the other dogs to come back in, he would go to the laundry room because he knew I was taking <laughs> him for a walk and right. he wanted his walk. He was, you know, that was his thing. He, he wanted a, a walk and I walked him around the neighborhood and he never tripped. He, like you said, he never walked into anything. He never fell, you know, over his own paws or feet. He was just absolutely amazing and so loving and gentle. But, you know, he was also feisty in his own way. Once he, if he wanted attention and the other dogs, you know, wanted to get their little bit of attention, he would nudge them out of the way. He wasn't afraid. No, no, he wasn't. And one thing, um, you know, a couple of interesting things we, we noticed about like the things, you know, again, they, they figure out just like anybody, a person with disabilities, you figure out ways uh, to to do things just differently. So like Riddick would walk with his head down. OK, he'd walk with yes. his head a little bit down because the top of his head is harder. So if he were going to run into anything, he didn't want to do with his snout because that's a sensitive area. So he would walk with his head down a little bit so that, that way his head would hit. Um, if, if he were going to hit anything, it would, it would be the top of his head and that doesn't hurt as much. And, you know, we, we noticed one of the things that we found interesting was he would 
he would spread his paws out, almost make them like as spread out as far as you could do them when he was going up and down those stairs, because that way he would, and he would go all the way to the back of the stairs. So that way he knew exactly where the stair ended to go up to the next stair. And it's like, I couldn't teach him that. He just figured that out himself, trying to figure out distance and where, you know, so he knew, you know, where things were and where he was, so he knew he was settled. He knew he was placed on a stair and he figured these things out for himself. And one of the other neat things that he did was his sense of smell was also amazing, which a dog has an amazing sense of smell. And our dogs, our other dogs would go outside with him. And when they got tired of playing with him, because he liked to play, um, they would stop. They would just stop and stand still and you would see him like trying to like he move his head around. He'd be trying to figure out where they were. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're they're playing a trick on him, mm-hmm. trying to see if they can, you know, get him to go away. And his no- he would whip that nose around because he would get a smell for where they were and he'd go right to them. He'd go right to us. He knew exactly where you were by the by using that nose. So, you know, again, I mean, sight's not their strongest um, sense that they have. And. And he just, you know, he just used those other senses and they became stronger for him. Oh, absolutely. I, the Riddick that I knew was happy and had fun and enjoyed and had his best life every single day. Yep, that's correct. Oh, he was, he was amazing and such an inspiration. Gwen, now Doberman Underground have had several other blind, deaf, um, Uh, dogs and even dogs with amputated legs or dogs born with only two legs like little Rue. Why is it so important to you to rescue these dogs when sometimes people or shelters or rescues have given up on them? So, um, you know, it's funny when I got with Doberman Underground, uh, the other main director with our rescue, she also um, had rescued a blind Doberman and um, and that dog did not have such a beautiful life as Riddick did when uh, before rescue. And um, but but Phoenix was was her dog. And so she was already, you know, again, same thing I found, you know, these dogs can do anything. I mean, they're you know, we were fostering other dogs in these homes and they're around other people. They're in and outdoors and, and everything. So you, you, you start to become the champion and wanting to help other uh, special needs dogs because you can see what they can do. And, and that was how Doberman Underground kind of got started. So, you know, and for her, uh, because, again, she's our main director, she's a nurse. So, again, so when you see special needs or dogs that are ill or sick or something like that, that does not. Uh, sway her in any way and so you know we're 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 always like we can we can take on that challenge so you know rue is an interesting one this was probably i mean by far one of the most interesting in all my years of rescue that i've ever had to deal with and uh rue was found when he was um only about maybe six weeks old he was uh he was found uh by humane society they were there was a a paper bag inside of a inside of a um, shopping cart and um, it was the middle of winter and some older woman was getting ready to go in the store and she was taking the shopping cart in from the parking lot and uh, she was going to throw the paper bag away, as you would do. And all of a sudden the bag moved. So she opens up the bag and there's this little black and tan dog in there. And right away she notices that there's no front legs on this dog. So um, she calls the Humane Society. They come get the puppy. Um, luckily it, you know, had not had hypothermia. Um, they took the puppy back. They thought it was a dachshund because, um, it had its full tail 
and again, it's only like six weeks old, so it's so small. And um, so they were, you know, taking care of it. And again, I mean, a two-legged dog, I mean, not many of us ever see something like that. So you're like, you're not quite sure what to do here. And so Rue was with them for a couple months. Um, and you know, he would get around, like they started realizing, like he'd pick himself up on those back legs and he would kind of, um, do almost this like little, like snake, like move, like, cause his chest would be down towards the ground, but he would start moving those legs and walking around. So he wasn't staying, he wasn't staying immobile. Like he was going to figure out how to get himself moving around. And so, and so what they noticed though, was the dog started growing and he started growing more. And then they quickly realized they did not have a dachshund on their hands because, you know, a dachshund you're thinking, okay, you know, somebody can carry this dog around and maybe they can give it a good home. And, you know, it's, it'll be easy to do that. Well, all of a sudden when you have this dog growing and Rue is about 70 pounds, so you have a 70 pound dog with two legs and you're thinking you can't carry that dog around. So they contacted they contacted every Doberman rescue out there and nobody was returning their phone calls. Well, when we got the call, um, we did, we returned the phone call cause we're like, uh, you know, I don't know if we're going to find the adopter for him, but we had uh, a program set up anyways for permanent fosters. If that's what he became, but we weren't going to leave this dog there in a shelter. So we went and got Rue and we brought him back to back and started to learn about him and, you know, wanted to see what Rue could do. And so first thing we did was we stopped picking him up. You know, we're going to, you know, we're going to put the food bowl down and we're going to see how he can move. And sure enough, he can pick himself up in an, in an elevated dog feeder and he can, you know, feed, feed himself. Um, he was going out to do the bathroom himself, you know, and can do all this, you know, all, all this business, no problem. Um, so, so again, we realized Rue can do pretty much anything. Uh, we did have to do one major surgery, and that was the fact that those arms were inside of his chest cavity. They just never came out. So he actually did have um, some form of a deformed um, arms. Like he had the bones in there, they, um, but they never came out of the chest. So we had to go in and remove those because they uh, were very pointy, and it actually caused him some pain when he would uh, fall on his chest or use his chest to try and move around. And once we were able to get those out of there, and he healed. Um, now he could walk on those back legs in a, in a hunched over kind of dinosaur like motion. Um, and a lot of times he would put his chest down and kind of, you know, move just a little bit over the ground. Um, we tried carts for him. We, we had ordered special carts because that's what, of course, we thought would be the answer. And uh, to this day, Rue, Rue hates the cart. I mean, he, we, they've tried everything with the carts. We've bought a couple of them. He would prefer to move around um, in his manner of walking. Um, and he is adopted now. Uh, we found an adopter that is used to special needs dogs. And so Rue is there with her and her other two special needs. Uh, one's a Doberman and one's another. I think it's a shepherd dog. And, you know, Rue just fits in wonderfully. He's got a beautiful life. He plays ball. He plays with his treats. He plays with his brothers. I mean, he's got an amazing life. Yeah, that is so amazing and heartwarming and inspiring, Gwen. And I guess it's true in rescue. Sometimes it takes a village. Yes. Wow. Um, Gwen, what is life like um, for these dogs like Rue? And, you know, we talked about blind dogs and deaf dogs, do they always have a handicap because they're different? Um, or do they fit into a family with other dogs? Um, and I'm going to use the, the word normal dogs um, in that question. 
yes, they, I mean, they can definitely be, I mean, they're, they are normal dogs. That's the thing. I mean, a, a special needs dog is, is nothing more than it is a normal dog. They've got normal behaviors like every other dog. Some of them, um, there are cases where sometimes they're not comfortable being with other dogs, uh, maybe because um, they're too defensive with their disability. You know, it, it does make them a little um, vulnerable. So there are cases where they prefer to be an only dog. But honestly, for the most part, they want to be with, I mean, dogs are generally a social breed. They want to be part of a pack. And so a special needs dog is no different than that. I mean, you do have to watch the dogs in the home and making sure that you're, it's the right mix for them as well, because it's a little different for them too. I mean, this dog, like uh, take a blind dog, for example, it's coming into the house. The other dogs in the house are looking at this dog, like, well, why is it banging into me? And I mean, that gets a little aggravating, you know, when a dog ba uh, bangs into them. Uh, why isn't it following me when we're going outside playing? You know, it's, it's going over to the other direction and I'm over here. So, you know, it takes a little bit for them to figure it out too. So you do have to have the right dogs in your home already that are going to be, um, you know, comfortable with that or accepting of that. And it doesn't make it good or bad less for the dog you already have if they don't. It just means that they just are not sensitive to that, um, you know, that special need that's going on because they just recognize there's something different with that dog. But it, it doesn't in any way make it less adoptable. It doesn't make it any less bringing another dog in the home. It's just making sure, just like adopting a, a regular dog, that you're matching up a dog with your other dog's personalities to make sure that it's the right blend for your pack. Okay, that makes, that makes sense. Gwen, my next question is a twofold question. So since we've been talking about special needs dogs, I want to ask you, do they make good pets? And my second question is specifically Dobermans. Um, are Dobermans good dogs to have as a pet for anyone who wants to adopt a dog but doesn't know about the breed or, or who has never owned a Doby? So I would answer that question. Um, I always start off with... Uh, on any breed, I don't care what breed, what, what type of dog you want, you need to research the breed. Every breed has got certain traits about them. Um, and it, you need to make sure that that's the right fit for your lifestyle and your family. Um, a Doberman is very high energy. They have a lot of energy. Um, and so, you know, we get a lot of dogs turned into rescue at the age of about it between a year and two years old, because now they're no longer the cute puppy. It's a full grown dog that still has, um, a lot of puppy mentality, but in a full grown body and it's got energy like crazy. Dobermans make great dogs to run with. Uh, we have a lot of people that do running, hiking, um, because they have a lot of stamina and they want that. They want to one, they want to be with you all the time. And then they have that, they want to be exercised a lot. So exercising for a Doberman is very important. Um, you know, understanding that this is a dog that uh, Dobermans are, they call them Velcro dogs. They're going to be by your side 24 seven. You are not going to the bathroom alone anymore. You're not sitting on the couch by yourself. You know, you're not on the computer, you know, without that arm being nudging you to pet it, that this dog, that's what that breed is. So you have to say that that's what you're looking for in your family. Um, we get a lot of first time adopters uh, that want to adopt Dobermans and I'm, I'm all for that. I mean, how am I going to gain, how are we uh, going to grow our community 
without, you know, a, giving somebody a shot at it. The thing with that is, and with our rescue is we're going to make sure we find the right dog to match with the experience and the lifestyle of that adopter. So a lot of times I'll tell my first time adopters is I've got the dog for you. That dog's going to train you because that dog is very well balanced. It's very obedient already. It, maybe it's very settled. It's a, like, it's just a little bit, maybe it's like four or five years old. It's a little bit more settled, but still got a lot of energy to it. But that dog is going to help train you while you're learning about the breed and learning about owning a Doberman. But it is super important. I don't care what breed you are into. You've got to read about that breed and understand um, a lot about it. The medical the medical, maybe the grooming requirements, um, the exercise, the, you know, just medical cost alone um, to know about each breed, what kind of health issues they have. I absolutely agree. Because as a golden retriever mom, golden retrievers are just so prone to allergies. Um, And throughout the years now, um, I always seem to have two golden retrievers at a time. And one of them you know, like Sam now, he's on Apoquil for um, allergies, and so was Chewy, and so was Pepsi before him. And, um, you know, then when they get older, you also get the hip and uh, back problems. So, no, I agree with you. And, Gwen, so the second part to my question um, about do special need dogs do they make good pets for someone who is a first time adopter? I, I tell you what, if you, once you've had a special needs dog, you, you will always, always want to have another one because you learn so much from them every single day. I mean, you truly are amazed by everything they do. I mean, you know, so again, back to the blind, I mean, you're just in awe of watching this animal move around a house and not bump into anything. Now, Right. I'm not rearranging my furniture ever again. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, you got to be careful. I'm not, I'm a better housekeeper because I'm not going to leave things um, in its, in his way, but I, you're in awe of watching this animal and what they can do. And so you can't help, but like that excites you and, and you're learning, you are learning something new every day yourself. You know, um, people, we get a lot of uh, tripods in. Um, and you know, it's, it's the same thing. People want to feel sorry for them. Oh my gosh, what can the dog do? Well, let me tell you with a tripod dog, there's nothing that dog can't do. I mean, three legs, I mean, forget about it. They are running and playing and jumping and doing everything a four legged dog is doing. And for whatever reason, they became a tripod. They are probably moving better and faster than they were with that fourth leg that was damaged or injured or whatever was going on with it. So, you know, tripods by anything are like the least of your special needs dogs. Um, You know, deaf dogs, you know, again, it's the same thing. You're learning, you learn new ways of how you communicate, um, you know, your, you know, the, your, your hand motions, which in, in training, they teach you a lot about hand motions, not always using your voice. So your hand motions and your signals become way more important with a deaf dog, but, oh, they make, You'll never experience something more wonderful than to own a dog with special needs. You just have to not feel sorry for them. You've got to, you've got to just be there to be beside them, you know, um, and, and let them experience and do and, and push them as far as they can go, but be there with them also, because you do have to protect them in some ways and you do have to be watchful, uh, you know, of, of things that could be harmful to them. Um, but yeah, it's a wonderful experience. Gwen, is there, um, so what you're saying, I, I hear what you're saying. 
I just want to ask this question so you can clarify for us. In your opinion, um, are there times when you would say um, or tell someone not to adopt a special needs dog? Yeah, I mean, yes. And, and Riddick, back to Riddick, you know, when Riddick was, when I was fostering Riddick, I didn't immediately say I'm going to adopt this dog because, you know, my heart was into fostering. I, I just want to foster. So Riddick went to many adoption events and people were always there and amazed by what he was doing and they wanted to adopt him. But the problem was immediately they felt sorry for him. And so right away, you're going to take him back into that, that closed up world he was in. And so my first thing is if somebody's applying for any special needs dog and it's like, I'm applying because I feel sorry for them. No, because this dog needs to experience everything. But, you know, again, um, like Rue, for example, um, I'm not, we weren't going to put Rue in a home that had a bunch of stairs. Right. He can't do stairs and you're not going to carry a 70 pound dog up and down the stairs. It's just not realistic. So, you know, there are, there are a lot of times that the home requirements are very important for a special needs dog. Um, you know, you're not going to put a dog like Riddick in a home full of antiques. He's going to knock them over. Um, right. so, you know, and, and, and also sometimes you have to watch, uh, you know, it, how many children being in the home and not because the dogs aren't good with kids, but because, you know, uh, again, a blind dog, you know, it's going to knock into the child. Is it? And how big is that child? And then the, the child is going to oftentimes leave toys and things around and, and that can get irritating. A deaf dog may not hear this kid coming up to him. He's not going to hear him. And so are they going to understand you know, that, you know, you gotta, you know, you gotta make them aware that you're there. Like, otherwise you're going to startle a deaf dog. Um, so, you know, yeah, there are, you're definitely, you're looking for certain things when you're adopting out a, a special needs animal, the yard, is it fenced in? Because again, a deaf dog is not going to come back to you. It can't hear you. And a blind dog, same needs to be, you know, have a protected area. It's not going to recognize an invisible fence or the boundaries of a, of a, of a yard. So, yeah, there are, there are things you look for when you're looking for certain adopters. Right. And Gwen, you know, I've read and I'm sure so have you and everybody who's listening to the podcast. Sometimes you have a dog and later in life it develops a, a, a disability. For instance, it for some reason, whatever medical reason, it goes blind or deaf later in life and owners find it devastating and they you know feel so sad for this dog who was their running buddy and um canoeing kayaking buddy and they think that oh now once they become blind or deaf they won't be able to do any of those things but you're saying that's not true no, it's not true. It, it is harder. I mean, Riddick was easier because he was born that way. So he knew no different. But yeah, it is. I mean, it is a little harder when they are when they go uh, blind or deaf at an older age. But it's not. But you have you have to still get them out of that. You can't let them live in that fear. And so you with some patience. And like so the first part of it is, is you as the owner have got to get over that, you know, um, depression. Or cataracts, I think it's cataracts a lot, oftentimes dogs with glaucoma will have to have their eyes removed. And, you know, you, they, they just remove them and they stitch them and the eyes look like they're closed all the time. Again, 
Um, the dog doesn't know any different now, you know, it's probably feeling better because those, those eyes aren't hurting, but the owners are devastated. And so you got to get over that really quickly because your dog is going to sense off of you how to act and what to do. And so, you know, I, Facebook um, is a great site, uh, a great use, a great tool for support groups uh, for pretty much everything. And so, you know, I would tell somebody if you're dealing with a dog that is going blind or has potential for it, get into some Facebook groups for blind dogs. They are out there. Same thing with deaf dogs, same thing with anything you could imagine, any um, disease your dog might have or disability it might have. You can find it on a Facebook support group. And from the actual people that are dealing with this every day, they're the ones that are going to be your best support because they're going to show you how normal the dogs can be living and how normal your day-to-day activities are. Because, you know, I guess I said, when I started, I Googled. And if you Google all the professional sites and like just the, you know, the information out there from like your vet's offices and stuff like that, it's very technical and it becomes very scary. And you're thinking like, this seems overwhelming, but if you actually talk to actual people who are dealing with an animal like this, with this disability or special needs, you become more calm because they make it appear and they make you realize everything's going to be fine. This is perfectly okay. Here's what you're going to do. And it's simple things. It's the very simple things you're going to do. And you're like, this is not that bad. You know, I mean, I've got a few lifestyle changes, but it's okay. This is not that bad. Right, right. So if someone asks you, um, you know, uh, should I adopt a special needs dog? Your answer is don't shy away from it and don't overthink it. Yeah, exactly. Don't don't shy away from it. Don't overthink it. I mean, um, be aware of what you're doing. Think about why you're doing it. And, and again, most people are going to start off for the I feel sorry for it. And that's okay. But you can't, you got to be thinking already about, you know, this is a dog. This is a dog. So this dog's going to want to be doing things. So don't live in that. I feel sorry for it. Right. This next question is a hard one for me. Um, I've learned so much from you over the years, and I'm so grateful for all the experiences and the privilege of helping you care for some of your rescues and adopted dogs. The one thing, Gwen, that out of so many things that I admire about you is your ability to know when it's time to let go of a pup. Uh, It's almost as if you are at peace and you know it's time for them to cross over the rainbow rainbow bridge. Um, How do you do that? How do you know? You know, it's um, it, it's a hard question for anybody. And again, being involved in rescue, um, and I have fostered many hospice case dogs. Um, I, I and I guess it, I can do it. Uh, and I, I'm on the phone every day with adopters. In fact, I was on the phone right before I, I was speaking to you with adopters who are all like, "I just can't adopt a senior dog right now because I just lost one, and it's so hard when you lose them. It is, it is hard." every time you lose one of these animals. I mean, it really is, but it's the, you got to look at the, they don't live their lifetime in the number of years to them. Every day is a full day, a full life. Every day is that way. So whether you have that dog for 15 years, or you only had that dog for six months, you are getting a lifetime in that period of time. You have that dog. Every day is a full life for that dog. So to, for them, you know, it's a matter of saying you're seeing them hurting, you're seeing them sick, um, they're starting to go downhill, and 
and a do- and an animal will tell they'll tell you they will actually tell you when they're they're ready to go um, if you listen and you look at them. And so it's probably one of the hardest things at that point, we have to be super strong because, you know, dogs will hang on forever for us. I mean, they have a will and they will keep hanging on and it's not always the best thing because now they're not eating. Now they're hurting. Maybe they're going to the bathroom, you know, as they're laying down because they can't get up and they can't move their limbs and they will just keep living because we're asking them to do that. So at some point, we have to become the strong ones. We have to do what's right by them and say, it's okay. I know you're tired. I know it's time. I can do this. And I have gotten to the point, again, because of that idea that I have that every dog lives their full day, every single day, I'm going to make sure that that last day we're going to have it be happy. So we put the radio on in the car as we're driving to the vet's office and I'll put on some eighties tunes and sing really bad karaoke in the car, you know, and, you know, and we'll do that so that they're not getting upset by what my feelings are. Now my voice is cracking and sometimes there's some tears coming through as I'm doing it, but we keep singing and we just keep going and we're, you know, maybe we'll stop for a burger on the way or some ice cream. If they're up to eating anything, we'll get to the vet's office and, you know, and we do the same thing. I'm in the vet's office and it's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to keep this going as long as I can hold this together because I don't want them being worried about me. And that's what your dog's going to do. They're going to worry about you. They're going to see you're sad, you're crying, and they're, they're going to be sad for you. So I don't want them going that way. I want them to, again, it to be, this is their best day. Okay. So, you know, we're going to let them just go to sleep, you know, just take a nap, but they're going to, they're going to sleep with knowing I'm happy or I'm acting happy. And so that's kind of how I take the approach of it. And so that that way they can peacefully just go to sleep. They know their job is done. I'm going to be okay, even though I'm going to cry my eyes out as soon as I walk out that door. But they can go knowing that they have done their job for their whole lifetime. They protected and took care of us. And I'm okay now. And that's that's just how I feel about it. You know, that that's how that's my feeling. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm over here and I'm, I want to cry listening to you because I find that so inspirational. And that is honestly what I hold on to these days because, um, you know, I help you with um, some of the dogs that, you know, you rescue and we foster. And um, it's very hard for me to say goodbye, but um, that is, the biggest inspiration for me is to make that last day just like, and I guess when I end my podcast, I always say, make each and every day a memorable and fun day, an amazing day with your pup, because in your words, that's how they live. Every day is a full day for them. As long as they are with you, um, they're happy and that's a full day. And so that last day should be like that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay, moving on to um, a, a lighter um, question. Uh, Gwen, uh, Doberman Underground have a big event coming up uh, here in October. And honestly, I am in love with the name Doberfest. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is just so cute. Um, I love the name and it's a great event. But this year it's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be virtual because of COVID. 
Yes, correct. So, you know, so Doberfest um, is, you know, it's, it's kind of like we call it uh, utopia for Dobermans. It, years ago, it used to be we used to have a private dog park um, that uh, was in, in Ohio here. And we would run out the, the, the dog park and we would only have our Dobermans there. And sometimes we get up to 100 Dobermans there running around 12 acres, a beautiful lake. And it was just I mean, it, it just was an amazing day for all the dogs. You know, things change as the years go by. A lot of people are not as comfortable going to dog parks anymore. Um, you know, some of your dogs aren't good off leash anymore. They're just, they don't like that, you know, other dog coming right up into their face or whatever. So we changed it over the years to now being a, um, a, a leashed event. And we do more things like games, like um, the cutest butt contest. And uh, we'll do a, we'll do a pie. <laughs> we do a pie eating contest and a, 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 you dunk for hot dogs. We'll put hot dogs in a, in a pail and the dog's got to like get the hot dogs out and stuff like that. So we've turned it into more, but the idea is the fact that we are all still getting together and like any dog person, you just want to talk about your dogs all the time. And if, and if you're with a non-dog person, they just roll your eyes and go like, Oh my God, (laughs) don't tell me another dog story. But when you're with dog people, you know, you can't tell enough stories. And so, and then, and then, and then imagine take it one step above. We're now with our breed specific, you know, people. Now it's all, there's all these Dobermans there, but we don't just have our Dobermans anymore. We have what we call Nobermans. And that is because our rescue takes in other breed dogs as well, because our philosophy is we don't leave a dog behind. So if I go to pick up a Doberman and they came in with maybe a, um, a Dachshund or a Pug or whatever, and this has happened, we don't leave that dog behind. We're going to take that dog as well. Um, in, and we're going to bring it into our rescue. And so, you know, we recently just, uh, we had a great day and we just adopted her out. She was found in the woods um, and a volunteer happened to have gotten her and said, you know, Hey, can we help her? And it's like, yes, we can. We've never had a great day before, but we're going to help her. And, um, we did find her a home. So we have our Nobermans and we have our Dobermans. Um, and usually every year it's about us all just getting together and, and just really enjoying our dogs for the day. So to this year, um, uh, because of COVID, you know, we're, we're all the rescues are trying to get really creative on how to raise money because it's been a it's been a huge struggle all year and and also you know we all want to get out and about with our dogs so we're going to do a virtual Doberfest uh we're going to be doing um we're scheduling pack walks all over the area we have uh, volunteers that have said they will do a a pack walk in the Cleveland area Columbus Dayton uh Pittsburgh Michigan like we're going to be doing them all over the place and pack walks are, are a fantastic way to one, exercise your dog, socialize your dog in more of a um, controlled environment because everybody's on leashes, but also it's a great training tool. And a lot of your trainers are using them now because, again, it's about getting the dogs out and walking. And even a dog that is sometimes not so good with other dogs, um, you get them just walking and they're using their mind to think about walking instead. Um, they're not thinking about that dog that they're next to. And you can actually get them more and more comfortable being around other dogs. And so that's what a lot of trainers will use pack walks for. And we're going to use it for this year to, you know, bring together, um, you know, a few people you know, socially distanced, but yet, in a, you know, in a walking method. And so we can at least be somewhat doing something together. Um, and ex- in the same time, we're, ex- we're exercising with our dogs. Awesome. And Gwen, if people are interested in finding out more about Doberman Underground, and I am going to put in a plea for everyone who is listening to this podcast, 
if you ever want to donate to a wonderful, wonderful rescue. And like Gwen said, not just Dobermans, um, Nobermans. Um, and last December, I was part in, of um, uh, fostering a little Noberman. Uh, Noel, who was a, a coon hound beagle mix, and she was amazing. Um, and Doberman Underground does amazing work. You've heard the stories from Gwen about Rue and um, the blind and deaf dogs. And there are too many stories um, for us. We would be here all night um, if Gwen could tell us about um, all the dogs. And But the medical expenses... Uh, for these dogs is very high and they couldn't, Doberman Underground can't help these dogs without your donation. So please, uh, Gwen is going to give us um, all the links and places where you can go and you can make a donation and you can make it to, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Gwen, you can make it um, to Doberman Underground, but if you um, go to their Facebook page and um, like it and um, you will also see that they um, will have dogs who will come in with specific needs and you could donate to just those individual dogs. So Gwen, please tell us uh, where people can um, donate in general and if they want to donate uh, during Doberfest, where they can do that. Okay, so um, the first place you can go to is obviously our, our website and that is uh, www.du. Dobes, D-O-B-E-S dot com. Oh, dot org. Sorry. Um, so that's the first place you can go to. Um, and then you can go to Facebook, uh, Doberman Underground. Uh, we, are in, we are on Instagram also, and it's the same, Doberman Underground. Um, and then from those, you can find out, like I said, we, every day we are on there talking about, uh, about the dogs and um, showing uh, dogs in need that we have coming up. We have a we have one right now. He is heartworm positive. He has a mass underneath his arm. He happens to be a, an albino Doberman, so he's white on top of it. So there's going to be a lot of medical expenses for him, um, you know. And so Doberfest and uh, you know in, is one way to to uh, to donate and to to come, become a part of something. We have shirts and we have masks for sale right now. And uh, we're going to, we're just like I said, we're going to make it a fun time for the dogs right now. We're going to have some virtual games going on. We're going to do all of our games just virtually, maybe with some Zoom uh, type of events happening. And we're just going to try and make October a fun time with your dog. Doesn't matter what kind of dog it is. It's like, just come out. Let's have some fun. Let's play some games together. We'll even do it virtually. Go do a pack walk in your area. You wouldn't believe how enjoyable that can be to, you know, get a couple people together and say, let's just go on a walk. Absolutely. Gwen, thank you so much. You are amazing. And what you and Doberman Underground um, do for all the dogs, not just the Dobies, is absolutely inspiring and amazing. Thank you for that. And thank you so much for being on my podcast today. I truly appreciate it. Thank you very much, Mariette. All right. Thank you for listening. And as always, be safe and make every day with your pup an amazing and fun day.